Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, this is Russ, and this is the Overlook Podcast. Today we're going to talk about the disappearance of Sharice Clark and her mother, Joanna Clark. In February of 2017, Shanice Clark was your typical 15-year-old girl. She was the oldest of seven kids and lived with her mother and siblings in Baltimore, Maryland. Her mother, Joanna, was 33 years old at the time. She was a single mother who had an on-and-off-again relationship with the father of her six younger children. The relationship is often described as troubled by multiple sources. Joanna had filed a restraining order against this man, Dennis Demo Queen. According to multiple sources, he had been very violent with her in the past, and he had even stalked her on multiple occasions. After being granted this restraining order, Joanna eventually let Dennis come to the house and stay so that he could watch their children so she could work. Unfortunately, she was in a situation where she needed to be able to provide for her children, but had little support to do so. While Dennis was the father of her six younger children, it's reported that he often couldn't hold down a job and wasn't really a financial help. Joanna and Charisse were both last seen on February 4, 2017, but they weren't seen together. Their disappearances leaves a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of concerned hearts. On February 4, 2017, Charisse was babysitting her younger siblings at her family home in the Cherry Hill neighborhood of Baltimore. Her mother's on-again, off-again boyfriend, Dennis, had came to the house and Charisse had decided to leave. Charisse did not like being alone with him. Later, others will report that he treated her very differently than he treated his six biological children, though he had been in her life since she was a toddler. Now, Charisse is said to have left her residence between 2.30 and 3 p.m., but none of her friends recall seeing her that day, though police will later say her cell phone pinged at different towers downtown. Joanna, on the other hand, had been out on a date the night of the 4th. She had actually called a friend for a ride home, but later called back and decided to catch the bus. This was Joanna's best friend, Jessica. Jessica says she spoke to Joanna around 11 p.m. as she was arriving home. She told Jessica she would call her back, but this was the last time she would hear from her. Dennis was at the home at the time Joanna arrived. He stated that he was asleep and drunk and doesn't really remember much. It's reported he said that he woke up around 11.15 p.m. after hearing someone come in, but he didn't really remember who. He said he went back to sleep, and when he woke up, Joanna nor Charisse was in the home. Apparently, the lack of mother and daughter did not concern Dennis as the days passed. Dennis never brought up the fact that he had not seen Charisse or Joanna to anyone at all, though it had been days. Joanna's mother, Margaret, states that Dennis would regularly call her phone when he hadn't heard from Joanna. But for some reason, this time he didn't call. 
nor would he later go on to help with any searches. After three days of no word from Joanna or Sharice, Jessica filed a missing persons report. Jessica filed this report after she realized Joanna had missed two days of work, and she later discovered that Sharice had actually not been to school in two days. When Joanna disappeared, she had six other children between the ages of two and ten. Now, let's get into Joanna and Dennis's relationship. Joanna and Dennis had a years-long turbulent relationship. I'm talking past the decades-long on-and-off relationship. When he first started dating Joanna, Sharice was still a toddler, and it's said that from the very beginning, Dennis was abusive, and he definitely stalked her. It's believed that he may have been physically abusive towards Sharice as well, Joanna, she was a good and hard worker. She always held down a job and she worked really hard to make sure she could provide for her kids. Dennis, on the other hand, it's reported that he was frequently unemployed. According to Margaret Tucker, Joanna's mother, Joanna obtained her first protective order against Dennis in September of 2016. At this time, he was stalking her, harassing her, threatening to shoot himself in front of her job. He was following her to work and even busted windows on the MTA bus because the driver asked him to get off. Joanna was done with him for good and he knew it. Now, what exactly sparked this breakup around this time? Well, it said that Dennis had smacked Sharice. Why? Because she was drinking the last bit of Kool-Aid. Joanna was done and Joanna threw him out. But the problem was, Joanna had seven children to provide for by herself. She was overwhelmed and while the restraining order was still active, she allowed Dennis to come back into her home under the conditions that he was just there to watch the children as she worked. Family and friends said they weren't having any sort of relationship at this time. He slept on the couch and in fact, Cherie slept in her mother's room with her at night. And on the day of her disappearance, Joanna had actually been on a date. Now, in regards to Cherie sleeping with her mom, it's because she felt uncomfortable with Dennis in the home. And many state that she absolutely refused to be left alone with him. He was abusive, dismissive, and then we find out that he made sexual advances towards her. In fact, the week that she and her mother disappeared, Cherie had informed her mother about Dennis making a sexual comment to her. Her mother told Dennis, nope, that's it, you have to leave. She told him she would put all his belongings out the house on the 4th. The 4th of February, which is also the last day Shanice and Joanna had been seen. Now, again, she had told Dennis that she was throwing all his stuff out on the 4th. He needed to be gone. And when Dennis came over, there was understanding that he was actually supposed to be there just to pick up his stuff. But for some reason, he stayed. Now, mother nor daughter has been active on social media since this day. Shanice did not have a history of running away, and Joanna adored her children. Loved ones say she would never just abandon them. Once both disappeared, the other children were placed in foster care. But Dennis has never been named a suspect in either's disappearance. Joanna's mother told WMAR Baltimore, I don't sleep too much. I don't eat anymore. I lost a lot of weight realizing they're not coming back. I just miss them so much. 
Now, Miss Tucker, again, Joanna's mother, has been extremely active in her daughter and granddaughter's case. She's spoken on multiple podcasts, and in fact, I've actually seen her leave comments on multiple different articles I actually used to research this case. She also has a Facebook page. She's very active on there. She posts multiple times a week, and she's active in just the missing person community in general. She'll post other people's missing person flyers, and she'll also post about missing person events going on around her city. And she's just very active in general. She has definitely been pushing to keep her daughter and granddaughter's name alive, but also to get this case resolved. A local CBS news station article quoted her saying, a lot of events are going to be happening and I can't wait to share with the world. The reason why I'm doing all of this is because of my daughter and granddaughter. They deserve to be found. They deserve justice. Now, again, mother and daughter went missing on the same day, but at two different times. Baltimore police believe mother and daughter disappearance is definitely connected and they suspect foul play, but they have little to no evidence that anything actually occurred. In the years following, almost no tips have been made. The case is, however, being investigated by Baltimore's homicide unit. Early on, police have said it they don't expect to find either alive. Now, of course, family and friends believe Dennis is involved, and many wonder if this was something he had been planning for a while now, possibly since Joanna filed the restraining order. Dennis, of course, denies all involvement in mother or daughter's disappearance. In fact, he has been quoted saying that he believes police aren't doing enough to find out what happened to either one. In a video with Claudia Rivero TV, Dennis states he doesn't know what happened to them. In this interview, he said, don't let me find out who you are in regards to whoever did anything to them. And then he walked away angrily. He eventually is followed by the reporter and he begins talking to her more openly. He straight up denies the restraining orders claims and says that that's not what happened. In regards to him being suspected by family and friends, he says that her family just throws anything out there because he was the last one to have communication. Now, he did admit he wasn't actively looking for either one of them, but states, well, he doesn't have the transportation to do so. He tells the reporter that he was angry and he does believe someone hurt them. When asked if there's anything else he wanted to say, he took several minutes and stated that he was trying to keep from crying. It was a maybe two out of 10 performance of someone trying to force tears. I mean, at one point, he actually takes a finger and puts it underneath his eye as if to say, you see, look, there's a tear. You see that tear? I want to make sure y'all zoom in and see that tear. At the time of the interview, which was December 2017, he states that he was fighting for custody of his kids. At the time, they were in foster care. Joanna's best friend, Jessica, spoke with the Vanish podcast. They also do an amazing job on this case. Uh, they cover it soon after it happened. This episode aired in December of 2017. So it has a lot of good information, but it doesn't really follow up on anything that happened after that. But her best friend was interviewed by them. And remember, she was the last person to speak to Joanna. She states that Joanna family actually reached out to her when she hadn't showed up for work for two days. Now, Joanna worked at a candy company and she actually worked there with an aunt. 
Now, her best friend states that she just dropped what she was doing. She dropped off her kid at school and immediately went straight to Joanna's apartment. And Joanna wasn't there, nor was Sharice. In fact, Dennis's older son from a previous relationship was actually there watching his six younger kids. She asked the son about Joanna and Sharice and he informed her that they weren't there. In fact, Sharice had not been there the whole time he was there. Jessica went to Sharice's school and found out that she had not been in school for two days. She informed Miss Tucker, again, that is Joanna's mother. Then she went to file a missing persons report. Jessica stressed the issue to the police that, hey, no one has seen them in a couple of days now. But she said they kind of made it seem like they believed Joanna and Sharice just up and left. Again, Joanna and Dennis had a very volatile relationship. In fact, Joanna's mother has stated six months prior to her disappearance, Dennis came to Joanna with a gun stating that he was going to blow her head off. Her mother states that he had always been a problem. She told of a time that he hid out in her basement for hours and she said he would even do this type of stuff when they were dating. And in fact, their turbulent relationship was actually well known in the area. She states Joanne had actually tried to end this relationship several times over about 13 years, but he just would not leave her alone. But Jessica, the best friend, says actually there was a period of time when he did leave her alone. After she got that restraining order, she said there was a little period of time that he chilled out. He wasn't coming around. He wasn't stalking her, anything like that. But again, she was a single mom with seven kids. She felt overwhelmed with work. And at the time she was using Sharice to help watch the kids, but it became a problem because now Sharice was missing so much school herself, helping out with childcare. So this is when she said, okay, Dennis, you can come back. I need you to just watch the children so I can work. And while now we can look back in hindsight and say that was a horrible decision, and maybe even during the time you can look and say this is a horrible decision, we have to keep in mind she had seven kids. She was not getting financial support. And while yes, some of the younger kids could have had daycare paid for by the state and things such as that, she had kids all the way up to the age of 10, not including Sharice, and the state does not pay for them. Let's keep in mind, her best friend did say that after the restraining order, he did calm down. He wasn't doing the crazy stuff anymore. He wasn't doing the stalking. He wasn't terrorizing her. This probably gave Joanna a false sense of surety. This was the first time he ever just calmed down. In her head, she probably thought, okay, you know, this time around, he usually is dramatic and he's usually violent. He's usually scary when we break up and he has not been. So at the very least, he can come and help me watch the kids because we're not going through this violent, tumultuous time. And it's just temporary. It's just so the kids can have supervision. It really kind of put her in a horrible situation of working to provide for her kids 
and leaving them unsupervised or risking her oldest daughter's education. So there is some supervision or having to lean on the support of their father. Now, keep in mind, Sharice was not home when he was home. Whenever he came, Sharice left until her mother came back home. She refused to be left alone with him. In fact, on that same podcast, it is said that sometimes she would just stay out until her curfew or she would ask her mom when she got off and then would go and meet her mother and they would come home together. And as far as we know, Dennis had never hurt any of his biological children. So this kind of seemed like her best option at that time. Even though this was kind of a shitty option, it felt better than leaving the children alone unsupervised at that time. Now, family states police have not done much in efforts to find Joanna or Sharice. Family and friends said that for a period of time there, they just kept insisting that Joanna took Sharice and they just kind of took off. But her best friend actually points out the fact that this happened around tax season, okay? Joanna, she had a job. She was working a lot of hours. She also had seven kids. She was expecting a very big tax return. Her best friend states around $9,000. She was waiting on this money. They talked about it. But when Joanna disappeared, she still had never received that money. And that money was never claimed. Now, if she was going on the run with her oldest child, why wouldn't she go on the run with that type of money? Especially since it would have been coming any day now. The police did do searches, but again, family feels like no real effort was really put forward in trying to find either. The police did question Dennis twice. However, again, they've never named him as a suspect. Ms. Tucker believes this is because Dennis originally was really cooperating with the police. He even came in voluntarily to be questioned a second time. And she believes the police may have not named him because they were trying to keep him cooperating, trying to keep him talking. In fact, she says that at one point in time, she was told it felt like he was about to confess. And then he kind of slowly backed off what he was about to say. The general belief is that Joanna and Sharice are both deceased. And family, they just want answers and they just want justice. Joanna's brother Alfred is quoted by Dateline as saying, you know, even if the worst thoughts we have turned out to be true, it's better than not knowing. Something is wrong and they deserve to be found and get justice, just like anyone else. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Joanna and Dennis's children were placed in foster home and Dennis was trying to win custody of them. While they were in a foster home, they were in two different homes, split three and three. And in 2017, you'll find information about social services working to reunite the kids with Dennis as a provider. And I just thought this was the oddest thing. One, because according to all the sources I've read, he had a history of not working. And six kids is a lot to provide for with a job. But sources said that he never worked more than a couple months at a time before quitting. Another thing you'll hear mentioned around the web is that he may be an alcoholic. And there's even some rumors that he may have been a drug dealer. Joanne's mother talks about how the children actually seem to be doing pretty well in foster care. 
They were in a safe environment. They were in an environment with structure. At the time that the kids were immediately taken to foster care, she just really did not have the room to take in all six children. But at that time, she was doing visitation with the children and she was going to all the court hearings regarding their care. Now, in a lot of posts, you don't really hear any follow-up on any official sources, but Ms. Tucker runs a Facebook page for Joanna and Sharice. And August 31st of 2001, she mentions underneath a post that Dennis did indeed win custody of the children. It does appear that she is still fighting this and she's trying to get custody of the kids. But as of right now, it appears they are in his care. Now, this ticks me off for several reasons, but it really kind of reminded me about the disappearance of Susan Powell. Susan Powell is a woman who disappeared in 2009 with everyone suspicious of her husband. TFAC stepped in, they took custody of the kids, but the courts worked with the father for reunification. And one day, the case manager was going to the father's home with the kids, and she let the kids run ahead of her to walk into the home as she was walking behind him. Once the kids got in the house, he shut the door and locked the worker out. Unfortunately, in this particular case, the father then went on to commit horrendous murders of the boys and then created an explosion which set the home on fire. Now, the community was pissed off when this happened. People just did not understand how someone under suspicion of murdering his spouse was being given the chance at reunification with their kids. Susan's parents actually went on to sue the Washington Department of Social Health Service for prioritizing the father's parental rights over the children's safety. This was a case that they eventually won in September of 2020. And while this sounds crazy, the truth is children's services, they believe children are better off in the home with their family. And they push, or are supposed to push, reunification with the family as the first and best plan. But this to me is just a severe case of misjustice for Joanna and for these kids. Even if Dennis had nothing to do with Joanna and Sharice, we still have proof that he was violent towards her. She had an active restraining order at the time of her disappearance. And I've seen the restraining order. The restraining order talks about when he threatened to blow her head off. A judge found her claims credible and even granted to extend this order. This along with some of the other information that we have about Dennis, just makes you scratch your head and wonder what the hell is Defects doing? And while many can say, well, he was the one watching the kids while she was at work, eh, let's be honest, how many of us really believe that he was home making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, crudding off the crust, making sure everyone did their homework, patting them on the head, and sitting around having family time? Now, how many of us believe he was simply there on the couch, barely paying attention, just making sure no one burnt the apartment down? Around the web, you will find that many people are asking, okay, now there are six other kids. Were these kids questions about if they heard anything or if they saw anything? It seems like they weren't. I haven't gotten a definite no. Every time I've seen this question asked, 
Miss Tucker replies that they were too young, so this leads me to believe she's saying no, they were too young at the time to be credible witnesses. We have to mention that the oldest kid was 10 at the time, but the other kids were a lot younger. Miss Tucker actually brings up a very valid point when interviewed for that Vanish podcast. She talked about how the kids are used to seeing their parents fight. They were used to seeing frightening arguments and who knows what else. So even if they heard anything, maybe even possibly saw some roughing up, this might have just been their norm and they thought nothing about it. But her mother does believe if anything I heard at the home, it more than likely was when the children were asleep. We also have to remember, while we have no idea when Sharice made it home, we do know that Joanna did not make it home to at least 11 p.m. As that's when she was talking to her best friend and telling her, hey, I'm about to step inside the house. So more than likely, yeah, the kids were asleep if anything occurred in that time frame. Now, before we go on, I do just briefly want to mention these little tidbits about domestic violence. One, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And two, one of the biggest things I kept seeing when researching this case and reading through comments and so forth is people would, oh, this is so horrible, and then go right into victim shaming. And I think there's a general lack of understanding about the cycle of abuse. And I'm only going to touch on two things. I'm only going to touch on very briefly because this is not my area of expertise. And I think there are so many other podcasts and resources that would give you a lot more information than I would be able to. One of my favorite podcasts is My Survivor Story Podcast. You can find that on Apple. You can find it on Spotify. They have survivors come on and tell their stories and answer all types of really good questions you get a lot of great details so I definitely recommend that you check her out but there's also a lot of other great places that you can get your info from like the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence so for more details I do ask that you check out those two sources and more I am just briefly touch on this because it's important to explain why victims stay in abusive relationships okay so this is a direct quote from the national coalition against domestic violence and it reads victims reason for staying with their abusers are extremely complex and in most cases are based on the reality that their abusers will follow through with the threats they have used to keep them trapped their abusers will hurt or kill them they will hurt or kill the kids they will win custody of the kids. They will harm or kill pets or others. They will ruin the victim financially. The list goes on. The victim in violent relationship knows their abuser best and fully knows the extent to which they will make sure they have and can maintain control over the victim. The victim literally may not be able to safely escape or protect those they love. A recent study of intimate partner homicides found that 20% of homicide victims were not domestic violence victims themselves, but family members, friends, neighbors who intervene, law enforcement responders, or bystanders. And I think that's an important quote because people often wonder, okay, well, why don't you leave? Well, because at that point in their relationship, they now realize that this person means what they say. 
this person means it when they say, I will kill you. They understand this person means it when they say, I will make your life hell. I will get custody of the kids and they will never see you again. I will come to your job and shoot up everybody in that place. I know where your mother lives and I will take her out. These are the type of threats that abusers make. And by the time victims are caught up in the cycle of abuse, they know that their partner is very capable of this. And you might be wondering, okay, but if you're already getting beat in a relationship, wouldn't you be scared that they're going to kill you then? But here's the thing. Statistically, the most dangerous time for a victim of abuse is when they are trying to leave the relationship. Yes, the relationship is viewed with abuse, but for some people, it almost becomes like a level of abuse that they're accustomed to. When a woman is trying to leave an abusive relationship, this is the time she's most likely to be killed. In fact, in this very case, this may very well be what we saw play out. He had threatened her before. That, in fact, was, it felt like a very real threat on her life. And that, in fact, is why she got the restraining order. And let's be honest, there's a chance he may have followed up on that threat. Reasons like that is why many victims are scared to leave. Yes, they're being abused now, but they know if I leave, yeah, it's not going to be swollen eyes. It's not going to be bruises I can hide with makeup. He or she is going to follow through on everything they have said. Another reason that I believe ties into this case is financial restraints. Again, Joanna was a single mother. She had seven kids. Affordable childcare was just not an option for her. And she needed supervision of the kids. Now, I do want to mention this is actually a trap that abusers use a lot, tying down their victims with children. It makes it a lot harder to leave. For some people, it is the cultural and social idea of staying together, making sure your kids grow up in a two-parent household, religious ideals around separation and leaving a partner. But also, there's a very real taunt of who is going to want you with X amount of children. And Joanna had seven children. Now, nowhere is it mentioned that he did this. I do want to clarify that. But this is a taunt that abusers do use. Who would want you? I am your only option. Now, some suspicious things to note is that when Joanna disappeared, Joanna had $800 put away for rent. It was the fourth. It was about time for her to pay her rent. But this money had never been found, even though the rent was never paid. However, people noticed that around the time they disappeared, Dennis was coming around with a bunch of brand new items. All of a sudden, he had new clothes, new shoes, new hats. And according to some people who knew him, this was unusual because apparently Dennis really didn't spend much on his appearance. People have said most of his money went to alcohol or gambling. Another weird thing, loved ones of Joanne State, they have gotten weird requests and messages from random people on Facebook requested money for information on Joanna and Sharice. 
They even had Facebook pages pretending to be Joanna asking for money. Now, of course, good old Dennis, he can't be left out on this. According to one source, he too claims that he got a firm request from Joanna. But this same source states it's pretty obvious that those accounts were either created by him or someone close to him. And you know what? Source didn't give any details on that, but without the details, I personally believe it. He seems to have a thing where he wants to make sure it seems like he too is a victim of loss, but in the laziest of ways. Again, that Claudia Rivero video where he tried to force tears and talk about how he too wants to know what happened. Okay, but have you helped search? No, I mean, he couldn't. He doesn't have a car. The search was in the very neighborhood in which he was staying. Hmm. Well, let's get to some of the theories. Now, the first theory that you're here is Dennis was involved in the disappearance of Sharice and Joanna. That is the majority of the opinion across the board. But of course, it's not the only opinion, but that is the general theme that you will find. Now, the issue with this general theory is that there is no evidence to support that Dennis was involved at all. There's really no evidence to support any theory. There's really no evidence. And while police have never named him as a suspect, I definitely think when you read between the lines with different officers on this case, eh, it kind of feels like, yeah, they too believe it's him, but they have to be very careful about saying that. Or at least that's what it appears like to me. Joanna's best friend Jessica thoroughly believes Dennis is responsible for Joanna and Cherie's disappearance. In fact, she believes that he was probably planning this for a while. She brings up the fact that Dennis went from stalking, threatening to blow his brains out, threatening to blow Joanna's brains out, and all the craziness that was almost like the norm for him in this relationship, to coming back into the home, watching Joanna go on dates, and watching Joanna go on dates, seeing Joanna not want anything to do with him romantically. And he came back to all of this surprisingly calm, calm, cool, and collected which, according to multiple sources, he has never been. Now, Miss Tucker, she mentioned that there were rumors that Sharice and Joanna had been killed and disposed of via trash pickup. In one interview, she actually mentions that Dennis used to work for the trash company, so he would know the schedule. And while the family did explore this theory, it doesn't seem like the police really followed up on this too much. There was never any searches in landfills, nor does it appear they ever even attempted to get any type of warrant to do so. Now, Joanna and Cherie's family and friends did do a search around the neighborhood themselves immediately following their disappearance, but they noted dumpsters and trash cans were pretty much empty, seemingly indicating that trash was recently picked up. And because police have not searched and really they did not seem to put a lot of hustle into this case when it originally happened, now it's been years and it would be almost impossible to try to go to the landfill and find any evidence of this theory now, four years later. A the second theory points to the fact that Dennis was carless. And let me just quickly say, 
I call him Dennis. His name is Dennis Queen. A lot of article and post interviews, podcast videos, you'll see them refer to him as Demo. That is his nickname, but his government name is Dennis. So that's what I'm going to call him, Dennis. Now going back to the second theory, Dennis did not have a car. And you'll see a lot of people bring this up when playing devil's advocate on this case. But here's the thing. Dennis' brother actually had a car. In fact, Dennis' brother had a car that he sold shortly after Joanna and Sharice disappeared. Joanna's loved ones, yeah, they made notice of this. and They brought this information to the police's attention. But again, it really does not feel like police did much with this information. And as far as they know, police never attempted to try to find this car, who it was sold to, anything. Now, Dennis' brother, he actually did do a lie detector test that was conducted by the police. So that may have been their effort in uh, attempting to do anything with this information. Uh, they also tried to test Dennis, but he refused to participate. If you listened to my podcast before, you know how I feel about lie detector tests. They're just not valid. It's quack science. So I'm not really side eyeing him for not taking that test again if he had a lawyer any halfway good lawyer would tell you do not take a lie detector test because despite what pop tv keeps telling everybody they are not reliable but again now it's been years so even if the police wanted to double back and now try to find the car any type of evidence would be completely lost at this point now, the third theory that I've come across is that people wonder, is it possible that Joanna made a decision to break away from an abusive relationship, take her eldest daughter, go to a shelter or some type of program, thinking that the other children would be safe because as far as we know, he never hurt his biological children. And I am actually surprised the number of times I came across comments like this. Now, don't get me wrong, the majority believe Dennis is involved in their disappearance, but there was still a lot more comments than I was expecting of people suggesting that Joanna just took Sharice and up and ran away. I just don't think this is the case at all as one, it's just so messy. She had just came home from a date. More than likely, Dennis knew. People are saying that he stalked her, that he had once hid out in her apartment basement for hours waiting for her. I'm sure he knew she went on a date which again motive but i digress what we know is that she came home from the state she walked into her home on the phone with her friend telling her friend she would call her back but she did not call her back so to say that okay well between that time and the time people realized she was missing she got sharice only sharice and they took off and left now, we do have that $800 that is missing, and some people point to that, that she could have took that money and left. But again, this seems out of character. One, because that money was for rent. We know Dennis did not have a job, so why would she take the rent money when her other children live there, knowing that the father does not work, doesn't appear to have income? It just doesn't line up with what we know about her character. Next, why wouldn't she have called her friend or her mother in the last four years to let them know, hey, this is what happened. This is what I did. This is why I did it. Or at least to call to say, hey, I'm okay. She could have definitely called them or the police to confirm that she was okay without risking any harm from Dennis. But Dennis is on video trying to produce a struggle cry, pointing to his eye to make sure we can see the tear. 
this isn't a man that's going to find out that she's alive somewhere across the country and go track her down. The man wouldn't even pretend to help search for her in a neighborhood in which he was staying. She could have definitely made a phone call to at least one person to confirm, hey, I'm okay, I'm alive, without risking or compromising her safety. Also, again, we have that tidbit from her best friend that she was waiting for $9,000 to come through from her taxes. Why would she disappear with only $800 when if she just waited a couple more days, $9,000 would have hit. And then even if she didn't wait, let's say they did take off and they ran somewhere to a program, she could have collected that money. Nothing has been done with that money. No one has been able to claim it. So it's not like, well, no, she left it behind for her other kids. No, no one is able to claim that but her. To me, the math ain't mathing. And Joanna's mother is all over social media, all over the internet, all over anywhere she can be, keeping her daughter's and her granddaughter's name alive, keeping this case alive, making sure people know about her baby's disappearance. And she is not quiet by any means in her search for justice. I just don't see Joanna or Cherise not reaching out after all these years to say, Grandma, I'm okay. Even when I went to Joanna's Facebook page, her mom commented on almost every picture. And this are her comments from four years ago, five years ago, six years ago. And her and her mom would comment back and forth to each other. And they seemed to have a really loving, playful rapport. I just don't believe she would put her mother through that type of stress. Now, the last theory that you kind of see across different platforms is the mention that the area in which in which Joanna and Sharice live, Cherry Hill, Baltimore, is a very dangerous area, or at least it was a very dangerous area. Different commenters have suggested that the Clarks could have been met with unsavory characters. However, here's the thing. From what we know, they disappeared at different times. What is the likelihood they were both put in danger by a stranger that same night at different times and no one else is harmed, no one else disappears? You can't convince me this was a coincidence. And who would have the motive to do something to one of them and then wait for the other to come to make sure they also get the mother or they also get the daughter. It just does not make sense for a stranger to do that. And in fact, it only makes sense for one person to have that motive where both of them are harmed and nobody else. And honestly, when I think about it, knowing this neighborhood was particularly dangerous actually makes me wonder if this is why we haven't heard tips or witnesses come for it. If you live in a violent area, you might be used to hearing violent things happen. Weird noises, suspicious things, seeing something kind of suspicious. But if you see this all the time, you know your neighborhood is dangerous. Yeah, it's a likelihood that you simply turn the other way and mumble, you know what, this ain't none of my business. You know, the whole snitches get stitches ordeal. And while, yes, there's always a probability, to me, this one seems like the least likely thing to happen. I even placed this behind Joanna and Sharice running away together. And let me tell you, I don't believe that for a minute. So for me to put that behind that, it just seems far-fetched. 
This seems like a lot of work for a stranger who does not know them to be this elaborate and be able to plan this out so perfectly. It just does not feel like a high chance of this happening. Now, one of the most asked questions that you will find in regards to this case is, what is the police doing exactly? Don't get me wrong, police do a lot of behind the scene works that we sometimes just don't know until years later. And this very well may be the case here, but what they have been given the public seems almost intentionally neglectful. In fact, under a post of the Very Cold Cases Facebook page, you'll actually find a few people from that area giving examples of their loved ones also being murdered or going missing and the Baltimore police seemingly not do anything in those cases either. And oftentimes those comments are followed by even more comments emphasizing that the Baltimore police do not care about people from that neighborhood, nor do they care about poor people in the city in general because their calories are so high that they just almost let the poor fight amongst themselves and figure out survival for themselves while they focus on middle class and beyond cases. And while going down the rabbit hole of comments of different people who live in that area talking about their experience with the police and cold cases and missing person cases, one comment mentioned another missing person's case where it feels like the police heavily dropped the ball. I'm talking about the disappearance of Akia Eagleston. Now, you may be familiar with this case. A lot of social media sites, blogs, podcasts that focus on missing people of color have been covering this case pretty heavily. Unfortunately, this case just does not have a lot of information. Akia disappeared actually just a few months after Joanna and Sharice. Joanna and Sharice was last seen on February 4th, 2017. Akia was last seen in May of 2017. She too was missing from the Cherry Hill area of Baltimore. Now, before anyone jumps to conclusions trying to connect these two disappearances beyond police work or lack thereof, I do want to throw out that one, Akia was pregnant when she disappeared. She was pregnant and actually supposed to be on her way to her baby shower. She never made it. The father of her onboard child he too did not make it to that baby shower. Though he was all right. There's really not a reason he shouldn't have shown up. Also, let's keep in mind that Akia, she was planning to move in with this man in just a few days. Oh, and let me not forget to mention, it's also discovered this man had a whole other girlfriend at the time who knew nothing about Akia. And random, completely unrelated fact, women are at their highest risk of being murdered while pregnant especially if their partner does not want the pregnancy. Completely unrelated. Now, do with that information whatever you want. However, I bring this up to say, eh, I highly doubt these two cases are connected in regards to a suspect. Though, let me just say, the cases definitely seem to have some of the same general themes. And let me just mention, the father of her unborn child, he too was not named a suspect in her disappearance. Anywho, on Joanna's Facebook page, her last post is her sharing her relationship status. This was posted on October 31st, 2016. Underneath the comments, you can see her mother asks, Oh God, who with? She replies, Demo, 
Dennis's nickname. Who else? Joanna's comment is marked with thumbs up emojis, laughing emojis, and crying emojis. Her mother replied, I knew it. Wow. This comment is only marked with crying emojis. Charisse's last post was actually made the day she was last seen, February 4th. It's a video of her mouthing along to a Nicki Minaj song, and she looks absolutely stunning. But after digging into this case, it makes you look at this innocent video of Charisse in another way. Her movements are slow, her expressions are well-contained, almost as if she's trying to record without disrupting her environment taking up as minimal space and attention as possible. This post received tons of likes by friends and family alike, I'm sure, none realizing this video would be her last. As of now, Sharice and Joanna remain missing. There's no official suspects, and as far as the public knows, there's no real leads or tips whatsoever. We need someone to come forward with information to move this case forward. I ask if you have any information regarding their case. Please call the Baltimore Police Department at 410-396-2525 or Crime Stoppers at 1-866-7-LOCK-UP. 1-866-7-L-O-C-K-U-P. If you do want to follow up on this case, Ms. Tucker, Joanna's mother, she is very actively involved. You can follow her Facebook page. I will put it up on an Instagram post Sunday so you can find it. She keeps the page very updated. She replies back to questions. So if you do want to follow up on the case, I feel like your best bet is to go around and follow that Facebook page. Now, that is all I have for today. If you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, you can head over to the overlookpodcast.com and head over to the blog. If you want to read the write-up on this case and be able to click through the different links and sources that I found, as always, I will have pictures up on Instagram. That's the Overlook Podcast with two T's at the end on Instagram. And other than that, I will have a new episode for you guys next Sunday. As always, be safe, be vigilant, and you will hear my voice again in a week's time. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.